Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Good day to you, and thank you for tuning in and uh, downloading, streaming, checking out the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is new every Thursday at Apple Podcasts, podcastone.com, and of course now totally free, without a subscription, available on Spotify. However you listen, wherever you listen, thank you for doing so, thank you for subscribing, and thank you for being a part of the show by doing so. And it is Eddie Trunk here with you with a couple great rock interviews every week. It's a different interview from some of your favorite rock artists, Nothing But Rock. Proud to be Nothing But Rock each and every week. And this week we've got a double dip for you. Sully Erna, followed by Gavin Rostell of Bush. Nice long podcast for you. I figured you need a little extra stuff to listen to. As we continue in quarantine pandemic mode in most of the country and most places around the world, hope you're all hanging in there and doing the best you can. As I tell you every week, the interviews you hear on the Eddie Trunk podcast originate on my daily radio show on Sirius XM volume. You can hear it on channel 106 airing live. We got back to live this past Tuesday after about two months having to go pre-recorded due to the quarantine Once again, it's a live broadcast daily, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. Every night, the show replays 10 to midnight Eastern, and full shows and interviews are on demand on the SiriusXM app. If you are not a subscriber to SiriusXM Radio and you live in the U.S. or Canada, the good news is they are making streaming free via the SiriusXM app. So all you need to do is get that app, Sign up, and you can hear my show and a bunch of other programming totally free, without a subscription. To sign up, go to SiriusXM.us slash Eddie Trunk SXM. You got that? At SiriusXM.us slash Eddie Trunk SXM. It'll take you right to my volume page and uh, my channel page, and you can absolutely listen to interviews or full shows or live shows or stream. It's all free through the end of May, and yet we are in May already. So be sure to check out what's going on. I just did a long, in-depth, phenomenal interview 
with Tony Iommi of Black Sabbath. That's up there now on demand. And I'll bring it to you next week here on this podcast. You are going to love it. But as is the case when stuff airs on Sirius XM, all of these interviews, I have to give it a, a week or so before I'm able to put it here on the podcast. But I will bring you Iomi next Thursday for the next new episode. So get ready for that. But listen to me every day, 2 to 4 Eastern live and replaying every night, 10 to midnight Eastern on 106 volume, Monday through Friday, talk and rock, interviews and much more on my full-time gig there on Sirius XM. So again, we are uh, continuing in the pandemic. We are continuing in lockdowns around much of the country. We are continuing to see every day, every week, a massive amount of tours continuing to be canceled or postponed. At the time I am doing this, there is still no announcement of any real substance on a tour a lot are wondering about, and that is the stadium tour, as it's been dubbed, with Motley Crue and Def Leppard co-headlining. As I've consistently said, I don't see any place, way, shape, or form on the planet that that tour does not, at the very least, get postponed. But they put out a statement about a week ago saying they'll let everybody know by June 1st. Seems to make no sense when you consider the tour supposed to start in mid-June, how they possibly wouldn't know what's going on with that by now. Uh, they would have to you know, have buses be- planned, crew booked, hotels booked. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I can only imagine they're trying to figure out what to tell people or if they're going to postpone, open available dates to reschedule. I don't know. But I don't think there's a chance in hell that that tour happens and starts as currently booked when you consider we don't even have sports back in stadiums. So I'm not sure how they would have concerts back anytime soon in a stadium, which is supposedly the most risky environment. We'll keep an eye on that situation and keep you posted. But many tours have been postponed or rescheduled that were scheduled to start far past the stadium tour, which makes it even more head-scratching that they have not announced a plan for that yet. Leonard Skinner canceled their tour, which was supposed to start in September, moved that to next year. Rage Against the Machine did the same thing recently. So the cancellations and postponements are rampant. Uh, For whatever reason, we still don't know what's going on with the stadium tour, but as I said, I would not think there's any chance i hope i'm wrong but i don't see any chance on the planet it happens as scheduled and i know a lot are asking me about it because a lot have money tied up and a lot would like refunds or know what's going on and it isn't right to to string it out this long so it's kind of hard to figure um live nation is the promoter there's plenty of tours they've been a part of that have already been addressed how a tour of this magnitude has not yet is uh, something I don't quite understand. But we'll keep an eye on it and see what we find out as we go. Really, the, the blanket policy here is if you're, you got, you're holding tickets to any show, keep a close eye on it, keep a close eye on the venue, the artist website, or social media accounts, and find out if indeed it is still happening. And I'll keep you posted as best I can here on the podcast. And of course, on my social media, at Eddie Trunk on Twitter, where I'm most active, also an Instagram at Eddie Trunk and fan page on Facebook. 
And of course, eddytrunk.com is the official online home. So today on the podcast or tonight, whatever, or this morning, (laughs) whenever you might have downloaded and are listening, two interviews. First up, we'll visit with Sully Erna. Of course, you know, as the lead singer and leader of the band Godsmack. Sully, like just about everybody on the planet right now, is doing some sort of online YouTube podcast, videogram, whatever you want to call it. Everybody has, every musician has some sort of online thing going right now in an attempt to stay connected to their fan base, which I understand. The the interesting thing for me about this whole pandemic and how how much has changed in the last couple months is that very little, I've been lucky in that very little has changed for me. I always did a ton of radio shows a week. I always did this podcast. I always was active on my social media platforms. What I have not done is a lot of the YouTube talking to the camera, a lot of Instagram live. I've never done that or a Facebook live. I don't know. Maybe I'll do one at some point. I don't know. I think I'm putting out quite a bit of content as it is, but it's fascinating to see artists from the smallest to the biggest, some better than others, trying to do all these sort of online Zoom chats, whatever it is. And and I've been reached out, and I'm thankful that so many have reached out to me to be a part of some of this stuff. But honestly, I, I am actually busier than I normally am and have been through this whole pandemic doing these shows. Now, the really cool thing that happened for me was this past week, my daily show on volume on Sirius XM went back to being live, which, believe it or not, makes things a little easier on me than pre-recording um, just because I like doing things in real time and it makes my schedule more concise. But we had some great shows in the last seven weeks or so as a pre-recorded show with a ton of huge interviews, including just this past Monday, Tony Iommi. And I'll bring you, you know, I cherry pick some of those here on the podcast, but you're only getting a tiny sample of what I'm doing on radio here on the podcast. So come on board if you're in the U.S. or Canada to The Daily Show on Sirius XM. And again, right now, if you want to check it out on the app, it won't cost you a penny. You can sign up SiriusXM.us slash Eddie Trunk SXM free until the end of the month. So I've been uh, hanging in there. I hope you're hanging in there as well and doing the best you can. I understand there's a lot of people still hurting for money, a lot of people who lost their gigs, and I hope that all comes back around sooner than later for everyone. Wishing you nothing but the best as we hopefully get on the other side of this pandemic, but obviously have to be mindful of uh, you know still being very very careful. So as I was saying, Sully Erna. The latest artist to build what he's told me looked like NBC studios in his living room there in New England. Um, he decided to start this twice a week YouTube video deal called Hometown Sessions, where he interviews and hangs out with artists and fans and what have you. 
So Sully, in the interview you're first going to hear this week on the podcast, was just getting that up and running and was just about to launch it. So to update the interview you're about to hear slightly, what you're hearing Sully promote in this interview is now happening and he's been doing for about two or three weeks. The The day this interview aired was a couple weeks ago and he was about to premiere and do his first hometown sessions broadcast on YouTube. It's now happened about four or six times. He's done a bunch of shows. He even did an episode interviewing me, which is archived now on YouTube as well. So he launched it. And then the next week he had me on his show and it was uh, nice of him to ask. It was fun to talk with him. So I interviewed him in the interview you're about to hear. And then a week later on his YouTube show, he interviewed me. But we talk about uh, a brand new music video that Godsmack put out. We talk about this hometown sessions thing. We talk about, of course, what he's doing in quarantine. Sully Erna first, and then second, an interview that made huge, huge news around the globe. And I had no idea it was going to, and I couldn't even figure out why it did. Let me explain. The second interview you're about to hear is with Gavin Rossdale of Bush. Gavin Rossdale has been on my show in the past. He called in a couple weeks ago, I think it was like the day before or after Sully, to talk about an upcoming new Bush record and just shoot the shit like I do with these artists. In the course of this conversation you're about to hear is the second interview on the podcast this week. Gavin, I asked Gavin Rossdale because I I had remembered, and I'll give you a little of the backstory here, because this was a completely out of left field, off the cuff thing. Last time I physically saw Gavin, he came into the studio with me when I was doing my show from LA. I work monthly from LA in normal travel times, and Gavin came in and we sat in the studio together. And we were talking at that point about having kids, and he has some children with Gwen Stefani. I think he has two or three children with his ex-wife, Gwen Stefani. So we were just talking about that at the time, and that was it. So it just hit me in the course of the conversation with Gavin, knowing that he and Gwen Stefani are divorced, that this pandemic thing is probably a pretty big strain on divorced couples who share custody of children because you're worried about them coming back and forth and picking up the virus and, you know, you're not supposed to leave the house and all that. So it was just a very innocent question, just thinking about him being a dad and where his kids are and how that's working. Just something that came came into my head during the course of conversation. And that was it. And when the interview happened and this interview aired, I thought nothing of any of it. When I tell you the answer he gave about not having his kids and them being, you'll hear it in the interview, whatever he says, uh, it's tough on divorced parents, the kids, I'm supposed to see them, but I'm not right now because they're in Oklahoma on a ranch, yada, yada, yada. Oh, just nothing crazy about that at all. I understand where he was coming from. Okay, that bit, that sentence, that answer to that question from Gavin Rossdale, 
made more global news than maybe anything I've ever done, maybe in my entire career, certainly in a long time. Because, yes, a lot of the interviews I do end up making a lot of news and rock press all the time, and I'm grateful for that. But this went to a whole nother level because it went to the paparazzi gossip pages of the world. When I, and I know it for a fact because Sirius XM, where this interview originated, has a service and a publicity department and they sent me about 20 links from around the world of the gossip entertainment TMZ like press that this got picked up all over the place. I'll give you one other thing about it that blew my mind. This is how crazy that th- this it was. The next day I'm eating dinner with my family, TV on in the background. It was Entertainment Tonight or Access Hollywood or one of those shows that I don't watch, but my wife had it on the background, whatever, just background noise. And I hear, I almost spit my food out on the table, I hear, and on Trunk Nation, on Sirius XM, Gavin Rossdale, and, and it like went by me for a second, I'm like, wait a minute, it almost sounded like Entertainment Tonight on TV just said Trunk Nation. And I turn around and there's my show logo on the screen and there's a picture of Gavin Rossdale and the audio from my show. I was dumbfounded. I rewound it. I watched it and they did a story on it on the news. On, on, it aired on like Access Hollywood. And I couldn't figure out why that was such a big deal and why the guy from Bush Talking about his kids was such global news. And the reason why I couldn't figure it out is because I am completely disconnected and completely disinterested from the whole gossip world. And I did not realize that Gwen Stefani and whatever relationship she's in now, Blake Shelton, I guess it is, some country dude, I had no idea. I'm being dead straight with you. I had no idea that Gwen Stefani crossed over into this pop. I know she was a pop artist, but this paparazzi gossip TMZ entertainment tonight world. I had no idea. And then I started talking to some people and they were saying, well, yeah, there's, you know, um, there's issues with their custody and because she's on TV and she's with this other guy and the kid, okay, I, I couldn't give a shit. I'm like, what? Well, okay, so what? But apparently, you know, there are these artists that crossed over into being these paparazzi uh, gossip columnist darlings and she's one of them. So because Gavin was married to her and has kids with her, That's why that world suddenly gravitated towards my show. Trust me, they're they're not picking up Tony Iommi talking to me about the Ian Gillen era of Black Sabbath, which just happened on the show on Monday. But whenever you check one of those gossipy boxes, 
the an entire different universe of publicity gets on it and uh, gravitates to it. So look, I'm grateful for the coverage. It was really a cool moment to hear my show on a channel like that in the middle of like, you know, all this celeb stuff. But also in reality, I'm aware that 95% of the people watching that have no clue about me or this show or rock music or care about it. It just crossed over into that whole different world of celebrity gossip, which just to me, it's hard to figure who, why would anybody care? But clearly people do. And there's a whole world of media dedicated to covering anything to do with that world or any artist even that that had once been connected to that world, even through marriage. So you'll hear the interview with Rossdale, Gavin Rossdale, second on this extended podcast this week. And you'll hear him talk about it. And just know that when he says that, as innocent as that sounds to you and me, it became a huge story about two weeks ago for, you know, like anything, a day. And we talk about music and all the other stuff with Gavin Rossdale as well, whose phone connection was a bit shaky, so bear with the ins and outs of his phone uh, during that interview. So there you go. Nice long podcast for you this week. We start with Sully Erna of Godsmack, second Gavin Rossdale of Bush. Let's get to those interviews right after this on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Well, there's enough uncertainty to go around right now, and NetSuite reduces it by giving you visibility and control. With so many critical decisions to make, you need the right numbers, and you need them right now. NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. With NetSuite, they give you financials, cash flow, payroll inventory, and more, all in one place. So you have clear visibility and total control of your business. NetSuite customers have the flexibility to work from anywhere with immediate clarity on critical information right at their fingertips. No more guessing, no more waiting. Make smarter decisions with confidence because you've got crystal clear visibility into your numbers. Join over 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to stay in control. Receive your free guide, Managing Business Uncertainty, and schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com slash trunk. Don't wait. Get your free guide and schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com slash trunk. That's netsuite.com slash T-R-U-N-K. Podcast One presents, this is a collect call from Sing Sing. My name is John J. Lennon. I'm locked up for selling drugs and committing murder. I'm also a contributor for Esquire magazine and the Marshall Project. So I'm a writer and I'm a prisoner. Imagine trying to stay focused and talk about issues of substance, with gates slamming, prisoners screaming, and PAs blaring in the background. Get new episodes every Wednesday on Spotify, Podcast One, and Apple Podcasts. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, 
Eddie Trunk back with you. Thanks for checking out the podcast this week. Coming up second in a little bit, Gavin Rossdale of Bush. But we open the podcast, as I mentioned, with Sully Erna of Godsmack. Sully, how are you hanging in there, brother? How are you? All right? Yeah, Eddie, I'm good, man. Thank you. How's uh, how's the quarantine been treating you? Have you been productive? When I texted you the other day, you said you had the equivalent of NBC Studios going on in your house. What are you up to <laughs> over there, man? I know. <laughs> it's funny how boredom hits people in different ways. You know, some people go stir crazy. I decided to create things, and uh, uh, I've been kind of wanting to do whatever I could, you know, through this and my part in this thing and trying to figure out what that was. And, you know, luckily for us, we came out a year ago, uh, almost a year ago to the date, um, with the Scars Foundation. And, um, and so now, you know, we're trying to twist this into something really strong that, you know, people are being very concerned about while they're trying to battle the virus and trying to make sure people get masks and all the medical gear. Um, you know, we've always tried to service the mental illnesses and the severe depressions and suicide prevention and addiction and those kind of things is what scars foundation targets. So, um, I've been wanting to do like a live stream and things like that. So basically to answer your question, um, I have a couple of close friends that are always around me and everyone's been pretty responsible with this and not going out into public and whatever. So we've kind of been uh, isolating and we set up this multi-camera you know, because of course I got a recording studio, so we have like all this really great professional gear, and it looks like NBC Studios over here. It's like four camera angles and six mics. The piano's rigged. The guitars are rigged. The, you know, my movie theater has become like Central Station Command Control, and <laughs> oh my god, it's it's crazy. But so what are you, you know, shooting? So what are you doing with it though? Are you making music? Are you recording? Are you live streaming performances? What exactly are you doing? Well, it's a little bit of everything, but to kind of echo what I was saying earlier was, you know, I feel like over the years I've struggled with trying to find my lane and what I was supposed to give back. Because for me, luckily, I've never been affected by someone who passed away of cancer or AIDS or something like that. Not that I don't think they're important topics, but it just never personally affected me. Um, But as I realized how I grew up in the streets, being involved with a lot of gangs and drugs and crime and things like that, having, you know, severe depression and anxiety issues when I was younger and all that. I'm like, you know what, There, that's where my expertise lies. And so I try to give back by doing TED Talk style speeches in the middle schools or doing things like, you know, setting up this community with the Scars Foundation and just giving people a place to go to an event and kind of help them get out of the funk. So this show that we're about to launch it's called hometown sessions and it's um real life beyond music so um we're going to have tuesday nights be focused more on music and that's why i was love to have you on the show one of these shows sure. let's ramp up a little bit and i'll circle back to you but yeah. but um yeah so tuesday nights is going to be focused more on like hang out with the boys a few old vinyl records um you know talk about music talk about the things that we're all doing musically and um and then thursdays are going to be more serious topics and try to help people that are you know more struggling with this kind of thing with the isolation and their own you know mental illnesses and things like that and uh that's right now how we're kind of dissecting it 
So wh- how will people be able to connect with this? Is this going to be like you're going to host this like on the Godsmack website or on the Scars website? Like wh- how have you, you where where are people going to be able to watch this? YouTube, what's the outlet? Yeah. Yeah, so it'll be Sully Erna's YouTube page, which is just going to be called Sully Erna. It is Sully Erna. Um, and we are revamping that right now. Um, and we are going to, I'm going to tease this on my Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and through the Godsmack socials and all that stuff. But I'm going to steer everybody towards Sully Erna's YouTube channel. And from there, we're going to, um, you know, build it from that point. So we're going to just try to funnel everyone in that direction. And, you know, you have to subscribe to it, but it's not a feed. It doesn't charge you anything. It's kind of like friend requesting someone on Facebook. It's just that YouTube calls it subscribing. So uh, it's YouTube Live, I believe, is uh, what people need to have. So when? what's your target for doing the first one? We're shooting for this Tuesday. We're going to do um, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, I believe it's going to be 6 p.m. We're going to each show is going to be an hour long episode. Um, so uh, East Coast time, Eastern time. Um, we're going to try to start at six. It'll be between six and seven. But again, I'm going to try and um, get out a message um, on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter this weekend to give people the exact details. Okay, well, that's that's good to know, too, because we're recording this a few days before it airs, and I'm going to air this on Tuesday, the Tuesday you're talking about uh, doing this. So for our li- for the purposes of our listeners, this is going to happen tonight if you get it together on Tuesday. So now the pressure's really on because you're talking, <laughs> you're talking to a national audience right now and tell, the day mm-hmm. you're about to do it. So uh, the, the yeah, timing will work out good. So you, everybody tonight... Check out this uh, Sully Erna YouTube page, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 Pacific, and you can see the very first one. And what do you have lined up for the first one? Are you going to play, or is it going to be more of a talk or a hang? What, so what are you, what's your target? Perfor- yeah, as far as the performance stuff goes, I'm going to play that stuff by ear because randomly I'm going to surprise people and I'm going to do something acoustically or do something on the piano, and I will do some performances from time to time. The first episode that we're going to be airing is going to be focused on the new video that we just launched called Unforgettable. Right. Um, we're going to try to have some of the, uh, the kids that um, were featured in the video and that we've taken on this journey over the last few years to kind of help pave the way in music since they were musicians already and they wanted to kind of do this for a living. And we took them through literally everything from learning a song to recording it to taking them to New York City to show them the industry, the record labels, um, and even inviting them on stage when we were on tour to do a live show with us and all the way to, you know, um, shooting a video with them uh, just this last February. So they're really excited. Yeah, that we should. I want to get into that a little bit. The, the uh, And people can see this online anywhere you see your videos. There's a brand new video uh, for the song Unforgettable. Hard to believe the last record's already, like, what, two years old. It's crazy. But you've done great stuff video-wise coming off of this record. I mean, I always laugh when I think of the very first video, which was like that nine-minute epic of you playing that character, (laughs) (laughs) which which was fantastic. But now what you're doing um, with this video for Unforgettable, I mean, I thought it was really touching and really well done. Uh, you, you touched on it a second ago, but talk about the idea and how this came to you and who these kids actually are in this video that you take on this journey of music discovery. 
Yeah, so how it started was, it, it, ironically, it was the last song written on the record. Like, we were done writing. We were, mi- we were done recording at that point. We were mixing the album. We had already mixed Bulletproof, and we sent it out to the stations, and that was getting serviced, and we were just in the studio finishing mixing the album, and um, I came in one day, and I just I, this lightning bolt hit, and I had this really cool idea for a song, and I really I liked it. It was something different. We didn't have it on the record. Um, and as I worked out the melodies and got the lyrics together, it was very obvious to me that the chorus needed to be a big gang vocal kind of chorus. So we tried to gang up our vocals, but it just was not quite sounding as, as broad as I wanted it to. <clears throat> and that's when I was like, you know, I really need to have like a kid chorus. And then I was like, ah, do I want to do that? Like there's been a lot of bands that have done that from Pink Floyd on. And then I'm like, yeah, whatever, let's just do it. What the hell? I don't have one of those in my portfolio. <laughs> so I went to um, the middle schools throughout New England, and I invited um, 20 of uh, these middle school singer kids um, that were in high school bands and different things, and I had them come into the studio, and we recorded. Um, and then, you know, from there, it was just like the song really – shined for me and i knew it would be a single at some point on this record um and so i just decided to take them on the journey for the whole thing and really kind of show them what it's like to be a musician and do this for work do this for a living to see if they really want to do this or not um and i gave them the ups and downs about everything and these kids were just and i think it really sparked new life into them they were considering doing something like this now they're like I want the tour bus. I want the backstage. <laughs> I want to do it all, right? So, you told uh, them it's not that easy. You told them you put in a 20-plus hard years of work to do this, right? <laughs> a lot more than that, man. Right. <laughs> uh, that 25 years is only God's mag. That doesn't count all the porches I slept under and, and you know, big girls I had to pick up to get a steak from when I was broke and was playing <laughs> – playing for a case of beer and 50 bucks. um, I'm just thinking because I have kids come up to me all the time and they say, hey, how do I get to do what you do? And I said, well, this is my 37th year doing it, so come back in three and a half decades and let me know how you're doing because it's not an overnight thing. (laughs) Yeah, you'll have it down by then. (laughs) Yeah, but but it was cool, man. So, you know, so that we just took them on this really last two-year journey because it took up until now until we're releasing the single. So any step of the way that happened to feature unforgettable. I'm like, let's get the kids here. If we're coming through town, let's get them up on stage. I'm going to New York city to do some meetings with the label. I'm going to take a handful of them with me and show them the record label and how the industry works. And we recorded this whole kind of journey, you know, and documented it. And then when it came down to doing the video, I just had this really cool vision of having like hundreds of these kids there, like to really represent and be the voice of music. And part of that got triggered by me constantly hearing about, you know, when schools need to cut their budgets, music's the first program they cut. When the Grammys decide to cut a category, hard rock category, by the way. Yeah, don't get me started. Don't get me started. Right? So that goes away. And I'm like, "What what is going on here, man? When you do that, by the way, Grammy Academy, I love you guys. You were the elite award show for musicians. You are the Oscars for musicians. But when you do that, you are invalidating the Stairway to Heavens, the Dream Ons, the Beatles, the Elvises, the Zeppelins, like the Rolling Stones. You, it's almost like that music wasn't important to our history. Ugh. And so it's really insulting. And I'm hoping that maybe by doing videos like this, we're sending a message not from a band, 
but from the new generations and how important music is to these kids. And so that was the purpose of this video was to inspire and to show people that like, this isn't us. This is very focused on the kids. You'll see very little God smack in this video, but it's really their words, their messages and how important it is to them. Yeah, I thought it was incredibly cool, and that's why I reached out to you about it as soon as I saw it and I saw the press release go out about it, because I thought it was it was really touching. It, it moved me for some reason. I mean, just because I'm such a lifelong music guy, I see myself as in those kids. You know, I would have been so wide-eyed at that opportunity if I would have had it to go with an established band, an established artist like yourself, and to be able to go through that whole experience. Like you said, there's footage in there of you taking them into BMG, and you're 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 on what arena is that where you guys are all on the floor of the arena where was that shot um i i don't know what it's called it was the verizon arena in manchester new hampshire okay the verizon wireless arena something but i think they might have changed the name since and i i don't know you know these venues they're yeah. constantly wanted now it's t-mobile then it's comcast it's like, right so and and let me ask you this, Sully. So one of the things that I also saw, thought was so cool is the fact that, of course, you guys are a heavy rock band. And when you, you know, I'm always trying to and encouraging younger people to get into rock music. I mean, I feel like we're losing so many to the other world, meaning you know the pop stuff or the hip hop stuff or whatever, and helping to grow rock and encourage people to play electric guitars and drums and whatever. So so when you went to kids this age. How much of them at that age had an awareness of you and who Godsmack was and were into rock music? Did you did you turn some people around into actually playing uh, guitars and making music that way versus getting out a laptop? Well, I, I would hope so. You know, I mean, I you know I I know you'll appreciate this. It's one of the reasons why I'm really excited to have you come on the show one day. You know, you're one of the few people that I know that not only is an expert in in music, especially within heavy metal and hard rock and classic rock, but you are also at that age like I am where you remember the journey music took you on when you were younger oh, yeah. and how important it was. And we didn't have cell phones and computers and all that stuff to stimulate us and distract us. It was really a unbelievable reward to be able to come home with a new album oh. and it was like your, your friends are like hey we're going to that high school party yeah i'm good like i'm staying home tonight because i'm just gonna like smoke weed and i'm gonna put on this record and i'm gonna listen to it 463 times and read every liner every- note and re- look at every picture <laughs> exactly and like and not only that but like memorize and listen to every little nook and cranny detail of the music until this day you still hear those little tricks and trinkets that is on a Zeppelin record or something from Floyd or whoever it is, right? You're like, oh, I never heard that little clicking thing in there before. And Or when the album would fade, like how loud you're trying to, you're pinning your stereo knob to try to like get the last of Randy Rhodes' lead or something like that. And it was a real experience. It was a real journey. And I don't think most kids know that today because it's just, everything's too accessible you want to see the new band, you know, five seconds of summer, you go, Oh, you YouTube it, you click it, you download it. And you want to see what do they look like live? Oh, there you go. Just hit that button. And there they are in concert. Okay. Got it. On to the next. Back then I remember going, I don't even know what Steven Tyler's voice sounds like unless he sang. And then I heard him on the radio one day and I go, Ooh, that's what he sounds like. That's like 
weird. I never heard his voice before. And I remember those memories. I remember sneaking a peek, you know, of him getting out of a limo, going into the Worcester Centrum or trying to find a cool picture of them in a magazine. It was, you had to really work for it. And, um, and I love that, you know, the art of music back then was so much different. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more, and I talk about it all the time on this radio show. When people ask me about bands, what's the next big band? How is a big blockbuster band going to come break through again? Although I'm really excited about some newer bands, and I really like what they're doing, my concern is I don't know if people have the same relationship with music like we did growing up. Not to sound like two old farts here, but you know what I'm saying? Exactly those things. Like I grew up working in a record store. The idea of people lining up the night before a record was coming out, waiting for the gate to open to get it, and then, you know, opening that cellophane and going through the packaging. I mean, to this day, I insist on getting my music, my preferred format is CD. I insist on getting CDs because I still want to read those liner notes. I want to see who, who mixed it. I want to see who got thanked in it. I want to see who wrote the songs. That's all really yeah. important to me. And now it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, I, I've got two kids, 12 and 16. It's like, well, they want to hear something. Well, we'll just go on Apple Music. I'll click. I don't like that. I'll click to the next thing. I'm like, the, the whole passion and relationship we had um, and, and importance we had on music, I just don't, I worry that that generation isn't going to ever grasp that. I know. You know, I have a 19-year-old daughter, too, and I think I broke her heart a couple of times, and she was just like, oh, my God, the new, you know, whoever it is, the new blah, blah, blah band is out, and their music is incredible. They're such good musicians, and they're such good songwriters, and I'm looking, and I'm, like, looking them up on, you know, on Google, and I'm like, yeah, they didn't write any of these songs, by <laughs> yeah. the way. There's 16 writers on this right. thing. Like, <laughs> how does anyone get paid? The guy, the guy that went to go get coffee got a co-write credit. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah I started I don't, on the way out the door, and they they layered it in with the kick drum or something. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I I hope that uh, you know, I hope we'll see people come around. But that's why I think it's wonderful what you're doing with this, and that's why I was curious seeing these younger people. If it was like you guys went in and you know, did somebody kind of vet them out and say, "Hey, you you guys into hard rock? Are you into Godsmack?" Or was it just let's grab a bunch of kids, and if they're not, they're going to get into this, and maybe you? I'm hoping. Maybe well, yeah. you converted some people. I, I hope so too, because I will tell you that a few things that I noticed was um, one was you know I went to a, a friend of mine. Her name is Sue, and she runs an organization called Community Alliance for Teen Safety. So over the years, I've worked with this organization and just trying to help kids stay off the street with drugs and alcohol and not fighting and not going down the wrong path, kind of thing. And every time I need to do something in a school or with kids, I'll call her and she's kind of the catalyst to get me connected. So she's really the one that kind of hooked me up with the teachers, the principals, and then we started talking with the kids. Now, the kids that recorded the song, they were already in. They were sold. They had already been through a few things with us. But then we were like, okay, we want like more than 300 kids in this arena. We're going to like blow it up. And so then... I knew that, like, there's no way all these kids, they're middle school kids, the seventh and eighth graders, they're not going to, you know, know who Godsmack is. Um, but they learned the song, and they and that was their homework. Like, if you're going to be in this video, if you're raising your hand to be a part of this, your homework this week is to learn that song inside and out because you are going to be singing it with us. And so I know that we recruited a lot of new kids, a lot of new parents because of it. And the best part for me 
I guess coming from the streets and being a punk when I was younger was seeing some of them that showed up, you know, the eighth graders that, you know, some chick with really short hair and a bold nose ring and, you know, tattoo already on her arm. And she's like sitting there folding her arms and we're like, no, you got to get into it. do this thing. And we're going to play this music and you want to really show us some energy. And it's just like, fold your arms and no. And then, I go, okay, that's cool. Everyone's going to do it. And like, we'll just walk away. And then everyone starts really going for it. And little by little, you've seen that girl who is so standoffish, just start bobbing her head a little and moving her butt. And then next thing you know, she's full on into it. I'm like, <laughs> that is the gift of music, honey. Where does this desire for you? I, I think, I really think it's amazing. I, I'm not just saying this because I know you and we're friends. I'm saying this genuinely. The desire for you to give back like this, you've got the Scars Foundation, you're doing stuff with these kids in, these, in this video, and, 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 and this stuff, you, and you've kind of referenced it a few times just in this conversation. Is it just that you look at your own upbringing and then you look at how blessed you are? I mean, granted, you put a lot of hard work into getting yourself and Godsmack to this point, but is it just you now being older and looking at the journey that you've taken and and wanting to sort of give back in some way especially in your you know in your own backyard there in the new england area yeah you know because there there is some really rough spots around here especially in lawrence massachusetts where i grew up it's become the hub of the heroin that's coming into new england and out through new york and everything else and um it's really you know devastating a lot of people it's become a real epidemic that you know that's hard to control and you know we're hearing the cartel has moved into lawrence and i'm like oh, what is going on here it's crazy so you know i just that area this area i i live over the new hampshire line now but i'm very close i'm within 10 or 15 minutes still from my hometown and um there's a lot here to, to deal with you know and there's a lot to clean up and there's a lot to try to help with but i just want to be able to share my experiences and pass on the wisdom that I have to hopefully change some kid's mind about picking up a gun or doing the wrong thing. And I really feel like I have been able to do that and touch some people along the way. And, um, you know, you can't save everybody. You won't save everybody. So I don't go into it with the mentality of like, you know, I'm going to make sure that every single person, you know, understands and follows this, but you know, for the people that you can get through to it's worth it because that's just another life that you save and, um, and another kid that has a chance at the future, you know? Yeah. I think it's great stuff you're doing again, everybody check out the video. Uh, you can see it right now again, wherever you, you want to search it up for uh, videos, the video for YouTube, YouTube. Well, yeah. And, and tomorrow you are prepped. Yeah, exactly. And you're going to see, you're going to see, uh, Sully on we're we're airing this on a two on Tuesday. So tonight on Sully's YouTube channel, starting at six PM Eastern, you can see the uh the Sully Erna experience. <laughs> He's gonna have all yeah, a variety show. show going on from his house. <laughs> yeah, it's a variety show. We're just gonna have fun with it. We're gonna try to, you know, help guide some people. We're gonna try to entertain. We're just gonna have fun. Keep it loose. It's live. Anything could happen. And that's what I love about it. And also you know, we have this accessibility now for people to be able to get to us. So I'm going to even be releasing an email at some point where people can contact us for the future episodes. So if they want to ask some questions or maybe even possibly get on the air with me, I'm going to have that availability. And um, so, yeah, so the show's called Hometown Sessions. And if you go to Sully YouTube page now and it doesn't say that yet, it will. But 
it's tonight, so it is. It's there. <laughs> would you Would you have done this, Sully, even if we weren't in lockdown with the pandemic? Was, was this something you wanted to do anyway, or is this driven by the fact that everybody's kind of stuck right now? No, I was actually working on this show for a while, Hometown Session, but it was going to be more, you know, mobile and on the road, and the idea was to try to attract as many, like, celebrities and friends of mine that are in that, you know, position to go back to their hometowns to show us where they grew up in their houses and how we weren't all born rich rock stars, you know, and I wanted to see, let people see that, um, you know, the journey that different people went on to get to who they are today and then maybe end each episode with them, you know, doing an acoustic performance on their porch of their childhood home or something like that. And so, and then it just kind of morphed into this. So maybe as this grows and we continue to do well, hopefully with it, um, and then we're able to leave our houses and <laughs> they let us out of jail, um, maybe it will go on the road at some point and I start touring again and you know, I'll be able to expand on it. But for now, you know, it's a way to pass some time and also be able to touch the fans and reach out to people and have some kind of interaction um, and also help people learn a little bit more about me and my life and what I do besides music. Did did you have some stuff canceled because of the, were, were you guys scheduled to be doing stuff? You had a tour, I think, or tour or shows with Hailstorm, I think, right? That, that path, well, yeah, there might have been some radio festivals this summer that we had here and there with them, but we were going out with the Pretty Reckless to do a major tour um, July through September, but all that's gone now. So that, so that even stuff in July for you, July, August, September, that's already blown out, huh? I think so, man, because, you know, I don't see this thing resolving itself to the point where people are going to want to jump back into big crowds yet. I do think we're going to eradicate this thing, and I have high hopes that this is going to end soon. But I do think there's going to be a lag where people are going to, A, maybe I'm not going to go right to a concert yet or a sports event and be around a lot of people if there's lingering parts of this thing still going on. And B, you know, with people losing houses and their jobs and stuff like that, I think when it comes back, they're going to be like, all right, I'm glad it's over. Let's get back to work. But I probably should replenish my savings account before I stop buying concert tickets. Yeah. So I think for me, I think uh, we decided, you know what, let's not try to jam ourselves in in the fall. And, you know, we were at the tail end of this record anyways, so this gives us time to go work on a new album and, you know, also be first next year to be able to pick the venues we want to go to, the tour buses that we want, the days that we want to be at those venues, you know, the markets we want to be in, and let's just book out ahead of time and get and be first next year instead of trying to, you know, find our little piece of real estate this fall with every other band that's probably going to try to go out and tour. Yeah, I was talking to, I had a, uh, last week on the show, I had a really respected doctor on talking about this whole thing and how it's going to impact touring. And he was, he had some real interesting views. And he said that the earliest he could see starting with small shows, maybe at the club level, would be like September. So, uh, and then kind of slowly ramp up from there. But he was also saying that 
the new normal could be that they basically are going to know if you have antibodies to the virus and you are almost going to have sort of an ID card that says you you're okay to publicly gather because you've at, you Holy have immunity crap. to the virus until they wow. get the vaccine, which is like a couple years away. So the whole, I mean, I don't wow. know. I've been talking to a lot of artists about meet and greets. I mean, are, are artists still going to want to do, are you still going to want to do meet and greets uh, when, the, when things get back to normal, you know, the, the photo op and the handshake bit. I mean, I, there's some people that don't want to do it and yeah, I understand I it. Think, yeah. It's going to change for sure. But like I said, I think the I think it's really going to be dictated by the public. And I think, although we need to be responsible, we need to be aware. And I think this is going to change some bad habits for the better. Anyways, you know, you don't want to be shaking people's hands and just coughing it and then wiping your face. Of course. Yeah. Like you got to get rid of some of these dumb habits to begin with and stop, you know, doing that and desensitizing yourself from touching your face all the time. But, um, at the same time, I also think we have control over helping the country get back like the more people stay in and they're afraid and they don't want to like get out there and do this the more it's going to stay that way so you got to just suck it up and people you know i try to say this to people all the time i'm not an expert i'm not a doctor you know i don't know all the facts and details but i followed this thing really really closely from day one and i just feel that in the end we will we will have a cure for this thing it will go away and how we act and treat each other now is going to have an effect on how we are later as a country and especially with the economy. So we can't be afraid to get out, go back to work and just start living our lives again because listen, you know, it's, it it was SARS this or the swine flu that, or it's COVID now and they pass, you know, and they're not going to wipe out the world. It's not Armageddon, but you know, the flu in itself takes out more than 20,000 people in America alone a year. I know. Like that's those are big numbers, but if they were to follow every flu the way the news has been tracking this thing, you'd freak out people year after year after year. Right? If there was a death, tens of if there was a death, people are going down. Right? If there was a death ticker twenty four seven on cable news for the flu. Everyone would be freaked. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like so. You know, don't like. Let's just get back to it, man. You know, I know we need to get a handle on this thing. It's super contagious, but you know, the bottom line is, um, you know, some people don't survive it and most of us will but you know those people they say it over and over again you know they're older people they already have illnesses emphysema things like that they're in bad shape with their lungs anyways and this thing just happens to attack the lungs but for the most part you know i think most people get it i think it's over 95 or 90 percent they heal it goes away you're done so you know it's not the end of the world and i just don't want people to be so afraid of it that when they're like okay we're good that people still aren't going out and trying to get back to, you know, life because we need to repair some stuff here and that's going to be at the human race's pace. Yep. Hey, two quick things and I'll let you go. I appreciate the time. Um, yeah, no worries. The, 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 I had you on for when legends rise just came out. And at that time, I remember you talking about, you weren't sure how it was going to be received. Uh, you had written with outside writers for the first time. You took a few little turns. You weren't sure. Obviously yeah. the record did incredibly well. You got a, a couple of years now down the line. Um, it, it obviously was received really well and did really well for the band. You sort of referenced for a second ago, this downtime, maybe giving you an opportunity to work on material. How far along are you? Have you written some stuff? Have you demoed some stuff for another <laughs> record? 
Well, I can tell you my band has. I haven't done anything. <laughs> I haven't done anything. I'm just not ready to write yet. Like, I was, you know, I think people don't understand with an artist, it, it takes you a while to get into writing mode to begin with. And then you start getting there and you're like, yes, all, you know, the ideas are just flowing like waterfall. Then you get into recording it, and you're just dialing it in and, you know, real tedious, making sure every little detail is recorded and mixing it, mastering it. Then you get in tour mode. Then you go, I don't want to write anything because I'm done writing. I'm going crazy for the last year writing everything. And then once you're in tour mode for a while, especially us, we tour, you know, 18 months, two years at a time, that kind of instrument, that, that wound closes up and you're just out there enjoying the rewards and having fun and touring and playing live. So when you get back to trying to write again, it, for me, it takes a while to open that wound again and like really you know, start to find the juicy good stuff. And I've picked up a guitar a few times and, uh, you know, noodled around and got a few riffs here and there, but just, there's nothing happening just yet. Although my band calls, they're like, we got a bunch of stuff to send you. I'm like, well, send it because I have nothing. <laughs> I need it all. So it sounds like four years again, probably between Godsmack Records, huh? <laughs> no, we are going to focus this year and I will get it done. I, I do this every time I have to record a record, Eddie. I swear to you. I go, I don't know what to talk about. I have no content. I don't know what my lyrics are going to sound like. I have nothing. I'm bored. I'm not depressed. I'm not mad. Like before when I was mad, I had so many things to write about. Now I'm not bad anymore. <laughs> so I'm just like, I don't know how to write songs sometimes when I'm not upset or emotional about something. So it'll come. And, uh, you know, when it does, I'm sure it'll be good. All right. <laughs> last thing, last thing. And I can't let you go without bringing this up. How no. do you feel about Brady leaving the Pats? I hope we get football oh, in September. But how do you uh, feel about uh, how do you feel about him? God, no, I mean, look, I'm not busting your balls on it. I'm, I'm, no, I'm genuinely, I'm genuinely curious because look, my team, the Giants. I mean, we lost a, not a guy of the stature of Brady, of course, mm -hmm. but we lost a, a guy that was the face of the team. Eli's done. I'm going into uncharted waters. I'm wondering what the thought is there. You know, you guys lost the goat. What, what's going to go on? I know, I know. You know, I haven't thought about it much. You're the first person to ask me, but I'm also not one of those guys that tries to be a super hardcore, like, Boston jerk sports guy. <laughs> um, although I've had my share of being a jerk about being a Boston sports guy. But, um, but I really feel like, you know what, man? I'll tell you a quick story. So, let me let me start with the preface, which is all good things must come to an end at some point, right? And so me and Shannon, my drummer, not too long ago was, well, it was actually back in 2003 when it first happened, but I'll, I'll snapshot through it real quickly for you. But um, back in 2003, uh, well, I met this guy named Mike Mossback, and he was Neil Peart's assistant, personal guy. And he, we were recording the Faceless record in Miami and he got in touch with us and he's like, Hey, come to the show. And you know, Neil would love to have you guys. We're like, Oh my God, that's insane. Like wow. this is our idol. Right. So we went, got to watch the drum solo from on the stage, sitting behind Neil Bird, like in crazy stuff. And of course, you know, got to meet him. I geeked out like I've never geeked before and blah, blah, blah. And, um, and then I kind of redeemed myself over the years because we got to meet him a few more times and I became friends with Neil and it was a, it was really, really cool to kind of like idolize someone your whole life. And then all of a sudden you kind of know them. Right. 
So <clears throat> wait, wait, let me jump in real quick because this is great. So I, when I need to, because uh, I, I, I interviewed him once, and he was a wonderful, wonderfully, amazingly nice guy on top of totally. everything. But did you? So, so before you go forward on this, I'm just curious. Did was it a shock to you that we lost him, or did you know he was sick? You know, I, I can't, I can't comment on that. I did before, and I got myself in a little bit of trouble, but. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I was close with him and I just, I didn't you know, know you were close I, with him. That's why I was curious because he's, there, I, I there was weren't close many enough pe- with him. Yeah. Yeah. He actually, um, did the honor of, um, giving us maybe his last on camera interview ever in his life. And of course we had no information at that time. I just knew him and he was a nice guy and, um, and I reached out and I just said, Hey, you know, would you, we were doing this piece on me and Shannon's drum solo that we do live. And of course, at the end of the solo, we do a montage of some of the best drum fills ever recorded. Like we stick in some stuff from John Bonham and from some stuff from Neil Peart and whoever. And, um, and he graciously like reviewed our drum solo and then commented on it and talked about it on camera to the director for this documentary and all the stuff. And, I was just like blown away that he even did it. Cause yeah. you know him, he does not do oh, yeah. meets. He does not hang out. He's very, you know, internal and likes to be very private. And so I was so excited to even be able to get the interview, but fast forward, you know, so many years later, they're doing their last tour, the R40 tour. And they, we, me and Shannon were on tour and we're like, Oh, we got to go see this. Like we got to go see the very last show ever. And, we happened to be playing in Austin on the last show. So we went to the second to last show. Both were in California. And um, when we got there, our friend Mike, he goes, come on, you know, come backstage or whatever. Because, you know, they do uh, like an hour and a half and they have like a 30-minute intermission. Yeah. And then they come back and they do like all the hits and then that's it. So during that intermission, Mike came and grabbed us and he goes, come on, come on, you know, come say hi to Neil. <clears throat> so me and Shannon had bought him this beautiful like $500 bottle of Macallan like 25 year old McAllen and um, you know, when we were just in there going, God, you know, are you done, done? And Shannon's like, are you really done? You're not going to like, cause he said, when I'm done, this is it. I'm done. I'm retiring. No more drums. And Shannon's like, so are you really, you know, you're not going to play anymore. And he's like, Nope. And Shannon's like, well, you're just going to, you know, you'll play for fun though. Right. I mean, you're a drummer. You're the greatest drummer all the time. Oh, you're not going to ever play again. He goes, yeah, no, I think I'm done. And Shannon's like, what? Not even in, you're not even gonna have like a little drum set in your basement or something. And he put his arm around Shannon and he looked at him. I'll never forget. He goes, you know what, kid? I think I've done about everything I can do on the drums. And Shannon goes, yes, you have, sir. And he walked away. (laughs) (laughs) And it was such a good moment. And, uh, but he sat us down after that and he goes, you know what, guys? All good things must come to an end. Nothing great lasts forever. And we're like, I can't believe Rush is going away. And then like, he goes, yeah, nothing great lasts forever. You know, it all comes to an end at some point. We had an amazing run. And that's what all this reminds me of is like, you know, at some point, just, you know, things just end and, and new things begin or whatever. So, well, you know, you know, and that's and that I couldn't agree with you more on that because I've often referenced so yeah, I get the analogy with Brady and all that, and and I get it the same, same way I feel about Eli. Again, Eli's not Brady. I get that, but respective to my team, I, I I you know guys thirty eight, it's time for him to go. Great, I get it. Gave us two Super Bowls. I'm good. But 
the thing is, when it comes to Rush and bands, I saw that R40 tour, and, you know, Getty was on my show at the same... Uh, Getty was on my show before Neil passed away, of course, and he had said... It made a, a lot of news when he said this, and I thought more people knew it, but he Getty had this line on my show, I'll never forget it, he said... Neil isn't retired just from Rush. He's retired from drums. He doesn't even yeah. have drums. He doesn't play. And that made like big headlines when Getty said that on my show. But here's what I always say about Neil and Rush and how they ended. There, We don't have to name names here, but there are way too many bands that stay too long at the party and they become a shell yeah. of what they once were and they're not mm -hmm. good anymore or they're, yes. they're faking it or they got 15 tracks running when they're playing. It's not even a live band anymore. There's one original guy. It's just a shell of what it once was. And yep. to me, I would much rather see bands that I love go out respectfully intact sounding good with that last memory still being really good and although it sucks to not have rush anymore if people saw the r40 tour my god what a final oh, great document amazing. of that of that band i mean you're left with an uh, maybe one of the greatest if not the greatest moment in their history is their final tour no, nobody can yeah. say that that's just and, no. and they didn't milk it they didn't play that card they didn't you know they went out so classy like they've always been and uh I, I just uh, you know i just think they set the benchmark for kind of how to quietly and respectfully go away that's right and they gave you an unbelievable snapshot of their entire career yeah. in that one show. Yeah. Even how the stage morphed from newest rush all the way back in time. And by the time the show ended, it was stripped down. It looked like an old gymnasium yeah. and a couple of amps on some milk crates. And you're like, just like it started for them back in the early 70s. I'm like, oh, my God, this is everything. How you were one of those people in the audience like... I, we took a friend of ours, Warren, who worked for a management company, and it was me, Shannon, and one of my best friends, Troy. And we're all about the same age, except for Lauren. Lauren's like in her early 30s. <laughs> and us, all our old farts are up there. Like, you know, as soon as Tony Sawyer starts, you get to that middle section with the big drum fills, everyone's hands with the whole arena go up, and everyone's air drumming. And it's like, she's looking at us going, you guys are the most retarded three old guys. I've ever seen in my life. With 20,000 <laughs> others know, all I around you. You were one of them. <laughs> you were one of them. You were one of them, too. I know it. <laughs> that's it. I mean, you, you, that's the one band you go to and everyone's playing air drums versus anything else, man. The whole place. Totally. Amazing. Wow. Well, I listen, man. We had a big hailing of drums, man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I could talk to you for hours. It's always a pleasure. I really appreciate the time. Remind everybody cool. to uh, check out Sully tonight, 6 o'clock Eastern, on the Sully Erna YouTube channel. Subscribe to it. And uh, what's it called again? Hometown what? Hometown Sessions. Real life beyond music. Hometown Sessions. And go and check out the uh, video for Unforgettable that's just been released. And Sully and the Godsmack guys uh, doing some great stuff with some middle school kids and showing them the ropes and taking them through the whole journey of creating music right on through the record companies to performing. Really, really well done, man. And uh, I appreciate you, you taking some time. Uh, t say hi to everybody. Stay healthy. If you need me, you, you know too. where to get me. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. For sure, man. Thanks for everything, Eddie. Have a great night. Anytime, Sully. Take care, buddy. See ya. Bye-bye. Thanks to Sully Erna. Again, his hometown sessions 
has about six episodes up now archived on YouTube, including one where he interviews me. Coming up next, we'll visit with Gavin Rostell of Bush on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. This, this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Uh, let me tell you guys about Raycon. Raycon has got some unbelievable earbuds. I have never been a big fan of earbuds because they always fall out of my ears. They're not comfortable. They don't sound great. Raycon has changed all that. And they're affordable. You already know Raycon earbuds. They started about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market. And they sound just as amazing as any of the other top audio brands you know. Their newest model, the Everyday E25 earbuds, are their best ones yet. With eight hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, it's super easy. Great bass, more compact design, a great case they come in. Gives you nice noise-isolating fit as well. That's key. You want that fit. You don't want to feel like they're falling out of your head. You don't want to feel uncomfortable putting them in. Unlike some of the other wireless options, Raycon earbuds, they're stylish, they're discreet, no dangling wires or stems to distract anyone during video calls. It's awesome. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. You can get 15% off your order. How can you beat that? All you got to do is go to buyraycon.com slash trunk. That's buyraycon.com slash trunk for 15% off your Raycon wireless earbuds order. That's buyraycon, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash trunk. Buyraycon.com slash trunk, 15% off your order. You're going to love the earbuds. Enjoy. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, folks, this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast is being brought to you by Goodies Hangover. And you absolutely need to check out this great product. If you're uh, a little hungover, that's what you want to do, right? You want to get rid of it. You want to shake it. You want something that can help you. Be sure to check it out. You can pick up Goodies Hangover at Walmart, Amazon, and other retailers. And for more information, check out goodiespowder.com. Also want to thank Goodies, who made some great bumper stickers, Trunk Nation bumper stickers. If you would like a free couple bumper stickers, be sure to send me a self-addressed stamped envelope to Eddie Trunk. P.O. Box 41, Cedar Knolls, New Jersey, 07927. That's C-E-D-A-R-K-N-O-L-L-S, New Jersey, zip 07927. The address is P.O. Box 41. Put bumper sticker on the envelope and send it to me, Eddie Trunk. I'll drop a few in the mail to you. Again, you must send a complete self-addressed and stamped envelope. If you do not, the envelopes will be disregarded. And this is only for listeners in the U.S. with a U.S. mailing address. I'm sorry, I cannot send outside of America. 
But be sure to send in your uh, self-addressed stamped envelopes in the U.S. Eddie Trunk, P.O. Box 41, Cedar Knolls, New Jersey, 07927 for these very cool new Trunk Nation bumper stickers courtesy of our friends at Goodies Hangover. For more information on all the products, go to goodiespowder.com. This This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, it's Eddie Trunk. We're back. I was talking about this interview and how it made massive news a couple weeks ago. Let's check it out now and listen for that (laughs) sentence or two, which to a normal person would seem like nothing, but became world gossip news. Here's Gavin Rossdale of Bush. Gavin, how you doing? How are things holding up there for you? I imagine you're in LA, right? I'm in LA and uh, holding up just fine. Just, just, you know, really just watching in horror as people on the front lines seeing all of this um, pandemic and it's horrific. And, you know, I'm at home just keeping social safe distancing and all that stuff. So I, I figured I am, I'm on easy street now. Yeah, especially when you consider what some of the the brave men and women are doing out there on the front lines, Uh, even the people just work in the grocery stores or obviously working in the hospitals and what have you. um, It's pretty amazing. Have you been able to be, uh, you know, productive in the time that you've been in lockdown? I know a lot of artists are dealing with this in different ways, doing some stuff online, doing some performances for fans online, maybe even writing some songs what what is uh what has the downtime been like for you in terms of creativity? Um, I've I've done a, a number of different um, broadcast things, you know, um, like on Instagram, Facebook Live, yesterday's Facebook Live for uh, Cumulus and a MSNBC thing today. So I've been recording, and it, each each step of the way, I've got like slightly better setup. Now I think I have a pretty good setup. Um, and uh, the first one went good. Second one was like really good, well spirited, I think. But I think I couldn't hear the guitar, so I was annoyed at my sound man, who of course is me. And uh, so I think I'm getting it better. But just doing that, playing a lot of guitar. Um, you know, I had wanted to learn some classical stuff. I never played classical guitar, so just learning some really beautiful pieces, uh, classical things. Um, I'm on a really hard piece right now. It's just like. I'm getting it, but uh, it's really, really difficult. So that stuff, and um, I get to go. There's a place I know, a secret place to go take my dog. A secret in, in that that no one else is there, uh, and that's been really nice. We go like an hour a day, but I look forward to it. Like about five thirty, six o'clock, no one there. It's like cricket pitches or something, and so there's no one there. It's just really beautiful just to walk around and. and Take for granted, you know, what, what, uh, we, you know, what, what rather experience what we used to take for granted so much. Although I always love that place. You know, I, I, and how have you, have you been able to spend time with your kids? I know, you know, you, uh, you share, I'm sure you, you know, you split time yeah, with your I kids, but first, do you get to yeah. see them? Yeah, I did the first two weeks with them, and then they've gone to, um, they went to, uh, Oklahoma, and, you know, they're on a 10,000 acre ranch. So I'm just thinking that it's okay for now. So we'll see. And it's, uh, that is a real big dilemma for parents with um, kids with, uh, you know, split custody. Right. Because you don't want to, I don't want to, you know what I mean? 
you're a little mindful of like, I know who's around me, no one, and know who's bringing me the corona, no one. And so if you send your kids out somewhere else and they come back to you, you're like, now you're, now you're prone to whoever they're with. So it's a, it's a, it's a tricky one, you know, for all, all divorced uh, parents. Yeah, that's why. unusual dilemma. There's all these different consequences that come up from this, you know, from all different things. And basically it's a problem for everyone. And that is, is really hard. Plus, I, I, I miss them and they should be back. And so they were with me the first two weeks. Now I haven't had them for 10 days, 11 days. And that's a long time. You know, normally I have them every like five days or so. So I like, that's what I'm used to. So at first it's a bit like, okay, cool. You can be super selfish, you know, play that guitar more. <laughs> and, but now I'm just like, now I'm like, hmm, kind of prefer it when they're around, actually. So. Yeah, a lot of FaceTime, you know, a lot of FaceTime, and kids don't really want to FaceTime. They like to FaceTime and walk around, walk, walk, be show around, walk around with the phone, just get on with their lives, but have me on FaceTime. So I, just, I find myself in my kids' pocket a lot. Right, absolutely. Well, I wanted to ask you about um, the the album, The Kingdom. Now you've got two tracks out, and you've got a video and single now out for Flowers on a Grave. As far as the release of the full album, is there a set plan for that? Or is that, like a lot of artists, somewhat in limbo, given the fact that some artists don't want to release a, a full album in this environment, given that they might not be able to tour or do you know, radio rounds or what have you? So what's, what's the plan for the actual release date of the full record? Um, from what I've heard, it's July the 17th, and I've no intention of, getting involved in that in that that world of release dates and you know i just make them and i'm happy to make them and perform them i am concerned about the whole life when i think about the live world i go well how the heck are we going to play live ever you know um for for quite some time it's funny because if you think about it um music is the first thing people turn to when this crisis happens or any crisis happens you know it's a great hit make your own make your own soundtrack to your own misery or your own happiness or whatever to your emotions uh soundtrack to your emotions and then ironically then it's gonna be the last thing that people can do is go to see live shows because we need to have the most amount of um of uh you know like freedom from the from the virus and non-fear of being next to people and you know now it's crazy the whole social distancing how's that work for shows you know well, you know, I had a I had a really renowned doctor who's going to be on my show tomorrow talking exactly about that and his his feelings about it were that uh, you know, in, in a nutshell, it's going to be sort of a case where if people, you know, there's a lot of people who have had this virus and don't even know they have it, that it's actually going to become like a system where if you had it, the thought is you're not going to be able to get it again for a while. So almost like showing ID to go into shows, you'd also have to show documentation that you've got the antibodies and can't spread the virus. I mean, it sounds like, you know, I love this. There's an, uh, an old movie about 20 years old that I love called Gattaca. And I'm thinking like, man, this is starting to feel like some sci-fi world or something. They're going to scan our eyeballs and know if we can go into a concert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it's gonna be. yeah it's, and now you have dates. You have a tour lined up uh, the, uh, to set uh, start in the U.S. here in July with Breaking Benjamin. As, as things stand now, those dates are still happening, right? Yeah, but um, no. They can't, I mean, I've I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, I don't think I'll be there. Um, 
That's a bit of a problem. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's like, it's it's a really weird time. um, And no, I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, there's that, but that's just the problem, Gavin, that I see, whether it's doctors or you watch the news or you hear different takes. I don't think anybody really knows what's going on here. Like one day wear a mask, one day don't wear a mask. It's just all the mixed messages from every corner, I think, is what really have got people perplexed because I just don't think people really know and they don't really know how this is going to end in terms of when it's going to end and when normalcy will return. So I think everybody's just sort of shooting in the dark at the moment, don't you? Yeah, so tell me more about that doctor said, because that's really intriguing. Because I'll tell you one thing that the problem I'm having is that there's a Korean doctor who's being interviewed. I saw a long interview, 20 minutes, of the guy who's basically been the spokesperson for the Korean government. And he said that what they had found, is so a very sober, they, they had 112 deaths. You know what I mean? They 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 really contained it. Yeah, the Koreans, like they're on it. You know, I know that we live here, and you know, I'm half English and half American, and and proud of that. Um, but sometimes we do get to thinking that we're the best at everything. And everybody's like the best, the best. And it's like well, Korea's pretty good. So this doctor was saying they had physically had cases of people who left, and they went over to Wuhan to help. They they had cases of people that. Um, left and then five to seven days later showed signs of reinfection. Not to mess you up anymore in your life and mm. ruin your day. No, 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 I understand. No, I completely understand what you're saying. And then, then you see uh, an interview with a, you know, a professor of biology from a university here in America. No, no, once you've had it, it'd be like a smooth seasonal, so you won't get it back. So like, oh, Two men of science. There's not any politics involved. Two men of science. You are saying diametrically opposed things. Can you help us? Which one's right? Yeah. Well, that just feeds into my point. I don't think anybody really knows. We can only hope and be optimistic. Look, I'm I'm optimistic. I feel like we'll get through this, and I feel like things will ba- bounce back. Uh, sooner than not i maybe that's just wishful thinking i'm not sure but i do think the dynamic of how we go to shows the separation that's going to be needed in some of these audiences whatever screening they're going to do you mean eddie 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 i've got it am i finally going to get to play stadiums are you going to play stadiums yeah because you like the spacing of like say ten thousand people spaced (laughs) apart have you got a stadium? What's up? You What's can play up, right. You'll play a stadium with one person to a row. Is that what you're saying? Something like that, but not a row. I mean, no, no, no come on, let's get real. But I'm just like ten thousand people spread out with like good twenty feet of social space, of distancing space around them. Be amazing. You know, Gavin, that that's not a crazy idea. I got to tell you. I mean, if you if you get a row of it's it's thirty seats in a row, and you put five or ten people in that row, and that's how you scale the venue. Uh, you know, you've you've heard of venues being curtained. That's sort of a different way to do it, I guess. <laughs> That's the optimistic way to look at it, Gavin. I think. Right. Good. Good. Well, I've let, let me ask you this. Uh, this is the other thing I've been been asking artists. We all know a lot of artists do a lot of the VIP upcharge meet and greet stuff. It's a big part of extra revenue on the road. I'm asking artists, I mean, do you think that's going to go away? Do you ever envision yourself doing meet and greets after shows? What, what do you mean? I thought we could be like, we could be like webcam guys, you know, like sort of just, just be webcam 
do webcam meet and greets. I did one yesterday for DC 101. I did a meet and greet on Zoom with uh, a bunch of radio listeners individually. Yeah, I mean, you got to go go the virtual route. I would think that's probably the only way to do it. I'm um, going back to the record, uh, Gavin. So, uh, this what what else can you tell us about this record? Are you going to release any more singles before it comes out, or is this you know doing doing flowers on a grave is the is sort of the final setup to the actual release? Are there more videos in the can for it? No more videos in the can. I think this, you know, everyone just, you know, especially nowadays in this culture, um, to, you know, I remember back in the day, we used to do like, have you three singles, make you three videos, you know, wasn't genius of MTV, but that was genius. So you start a, 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 a channel where outside people pay for all the broadcasting that you choose whether or not you want to put it on. So we just spent 500, 750 was the biggest. 750 grand on a video and then he said please play me please put us on Total Request Live it's just genius it's genius it's so genius I mean it's so I find it really sad that that whole culture is gone and MTV is just is just a game show thing and I, I know that it's for the youth and I'm far from young so it's not meant to be for me but it was wonderful to see everyone's videos the whole time what everyone was up to really was a fantastic in this heyday when you think of the videos you did and spring break stuff and the shows people did the interviews the unplugged mtv was such a fantastic station uh for all of us well i don't understand why they changed that model so heavily to just like disrespect music and just kind of put on like goofy game shows you know well, I couldn't agree with you more. And the biggest thing about it, too, back then is to me that that's so different now, too, is the fact that now it seems like a lot of artists are loading up up front before the record is released with videos and singles pushing to the pre-order for the record. And then everybody buys the record in the first week. And then by like week three or four, the steam has come out of the record. It used to be, and you know, I'm, I'm an older guy, man. I used to, used to watch the record move up and down the charts. It might come in at 50 and then eight weeks later, be at 30 and you'd watch it fluctuate with releases. Now it's all about the big hit up front. And then the rest of the year, you're reminding people you got a new record out well i'd I'd say welcome to england Uh, all records only last four weeks there but um no that all changed as well but absolutely um i think that um it's a bit of a shame all all that stuff but it's just sound that sounds sounds a lot like marketing we shouldn't have much to do with record i mean for me you just want to make deep and wide records that people fall in love with and they go up and down as you bring out singles absolutely um and you know, maybe we'll buck the trend. It's just people just, it's such a funny world now. We don't even think about, um, you know, uh, streaming versus sales in a way we're not even talking about sort of the vaping. You know, the vaping thing was a big thing. And now it's, that's uh, taken second fiddle, obviously, to this crazy pandemic. So um, I wonder how it would be. But there's nothing beats a good record where you listen to a band. I think the Grimes record is, is I really like that Grimes record. That's a nice record you can play. Have you heard anything I should check out? Uh, boy. New, new? Well, I love Rival Sons. They're one of my favorite newer bands. Their last record, which came out last year, is my, my favorite record. It's very, you know, very just uh, organic, stripped-down rock, you know, just in-your-face guitar, bass, drums. That's what I love the most. So their last record, and I think they've got one of the best singers 
in the world right now. Their singer is unbelievable. So uh, that that band I love. And then more on the poppier side of thing, I love the Struts. I, I, I don't know if you've heard them, but they, they've yeah, got two yeah. records out, and I love what they do as well. Amazing live band also. So those are one, two of my newer. Neither of those bands are exactly new, but two newer bands. Yeah, that I certainly yeah, I know. Like. I know. Right, right, right. Uh, you know, and speaking uh, of the speaking of the business, you know, I, I mean, you Bush was, and you were out of the music business for the most part. I mean, I know you did a solo record, you did another band, but you broke up Bush from like two thousand two to around ten, I think. So you you were out of the game with Bush for almost ten years, and since relaunching it, you know, how's this? You know, being back in it, where the business is at now, and what the business is now. It's a far cry from 16 Stone where you sold millions of records and were on MTV every day. How does it feel for you? Have you been able to adapt to it? Are you are you getting more comfortable with the way the business is structured now? Or do you stay out of that and just worry about making the music? I mean, I'm not worried about it. It's a, there's a, there was an incredible juggernaut when we came up. The, the, the powerhouse of MTV with radio was an undeniable force that could catapult people into the you know ether and, and we were one of those uh, lucky recipients of that that sort of culture as was everyone you know everyone was benefited so great from that um but i i really believe in you know you have to you know you you adapt you know you recognize you adapt you know and you move forward and you flow uh, i've never been one to um you know bemoan the the, the past and how it was or this or that. I mean, even when I talk about MTV, I think it's a disservice to people because I think that if you had, imagine if you had MTV now, it'd be as big as the Tiger King because people could have the chance to live and have music all day long and leave it on and then when they hear something in particular, they're going to get to watch a video of them doing it. It's just it's such a genius, beautiful thing or some a beautiful concert put on by someone uh so it was just, just for the quality that they gave, you know, was really good. But I, I, I don't, um, I never, I never lost one minute of sleep or, you know, I was really lucky to sell. We sold a lot of records. I feel worse for people coming up who are doing great, but who don't have the benefit of sales. So therefore everyone has to be on the road and everyone overplays and the market is flooded. People don't, you know, can see any band they want because any band is the only way they can, in their sandwich if they're a vegetarian, you know? So that's a bit unfortunate. I don't like that side of it, and I think that it leads to saturation and overkill, and uh, there are too many shows. But at the same time, who cares? You know, people who decide what they want, and you know, get these great pockets. I mean, now we just live in these beautiful, separated worlds, which is the kingdom is a separated world, you know, like-minded people. And no one knows what anyone's doing. I can be on tour for six months, go down the road, see my neighbors, say, how are you doing? And uh, what have you been up to? And I'm like, I've just been kidding myself on tour. But back in the day, there's more centralized part of the culture that, that doesn't exist anymore. So we just all live in our world. And you think no one's doing that much. Then you find out that so-and-so's been playing with 10,000 people a night and they've played with 300,000 people in the summer. And, you know, so you just live and... All I can do, it's a really ancient job, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, um, you know, a, a traveler, like a, you know, to, to sing your songs and it's, it's like a troubadour, you know, you just, used to be you go around with medicine, you have medicine and you sing a few songs and it's not much different now. It's just all the, the, um, it's the same principle. So you just take it 
you roll with that. And the, the way that now I love going on tour, I love playing. We're meant to be in Australia now. I was meant to be on stage right now. Um, uh, but but uh, obviously we're 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 just like everyone else in the world. And isn't that that's a good thing that everyone's realised how fragile we are and how interdependent we are. And uh, and um, I think that's a beautiful thing to recognise. You know. The, you know how fallible we are, and we just can't get places without each other. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's interesting because you're right. The business has shifted so much to on the road, and of course, and I agree with you. There's a good degree of oversaturation there, but now that that part of it has been removed because of what we're dealing with, and you wonder when that comes back. Like we started the conversation, what's that going to be like? And yeah, by the way, when did by the way when did that doctor say that could take place? Well, he said the the thing that they have to figure out is they need to get the uh the mechanisms in place to do the screening in other words they need to uh get the test which they're working on now which could go to you or me or anybody and you you have this test and it will tell you if you had had the virus because there's a ton of people who have had this that had no symptoms that don't know and he said his point about it was that the immunity if you do, if you did have it, your immunity is good for at least a year and a half to two years. And the logic being, by that point, they should have a vaccination which would carry us the rest of the way. That's like that is so. You know how does that work for small venues who can't afford those machines? Oh, it's like a nightmare. Just like it just throws up more issues. Well, yeah, I don't think I don't, I don't think it's going to be a machine. I think it's actually going to be like a card or something. Like you know, I, I don't know. This is just what he was speculating and and what he saw. And he also said w- that when the rollout of live shows happens again, it'll start with the smaller venues and then work its way up as we go. Which kind of makes sense that uh, you know before you get to play that stadium, Gavin, it might be a little while longer. <laughs> <laughs> not the stadium, but not the club side shows, the arena side audience. Yeah, you might be going back to how Bush first started and playing to a uh, hundred people in a, in a bar somewhere, also socially nothing distanced. Wrong. But uh, you'll still be playing. Nothing wrong with that. Hey man, reality. I, yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, I know our time is almost up, and I, I appreciate a few minutes with you, and I, I wish you well and and good health there. And hopefully, when things get back to normal, and I can come out to LA, we can do something in person. Uh, we remind Wonderful. everybody yeah. the the new album, The Kingdom, is coming in July. There's a, a video yeah. now for Flowers on a Grave, and uh, anything I missed that you want to hit? Yeah, it is interesting, funny because there's an interesting point you make about how people drop off. Um, in terms of promotion of a record, but and and we can we can we can redress that because when we you know if you come out after the record is out we get together that's wonderful. But people also are also so into the new that they go you only be into people because the record's about to come out, not during the record or for the third single or something like that. But let's buck that trend. I'm in. Yeah, I agree. You know, keep keep the keep the shelf life going a little bit longer, and uh, there you go, and 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 you know, and and live with a record and spread the word and keep it going. That's that's something I think is sorely missing. Anyway, Sorry. be well. Thanks, take, take care yeah, of yourself, care. man. I'll see you soon. Thanks, man. Bye bye. Well, my thanks to Gavin Rossdale. Great to visit with him, and thanks earlier to Sully Erna of Godsmack. New Bush music, couple singles out, album coming soon. We'll see about the tour. And, of course, Godsmack with a new single and video out and also Sully's YouTube series, Hometown Sessions, 
available now free on YouTube. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast. Thank you to Katie Irizarry, who is the producer. Follow me on social media at Eddie Trunk. Twitter, where I am most active, at Eddie Trunk. Instagram, fan page on Facebook, all just simply at my name. EddieTrunk.com is your official online home. Music news. My blog, which is The Trunk Report, and much more. Be sure to check it out. Remember, next week, I will air for you on the podcast more than 60 minutes long, almost an hour and 15 of conversation with the founding father of heavy metal, the great Tony Iommi, an exclusive interview on next week's podcast. Have a great week, everybody. Catch you then. 